What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod, and we're continuing our Big Ten preview shows. Today, we're doing number four, Illinois. Illinois had a great season last year. They went twenty-three and ten overall, fifteen and five in the Big Ten. They lost in the round of thirty-two, which is not a good <laughs> end to their season. Uh, to Houston, they finished twentieth in Pen- Ken Palm, thirtieth on offense, 29th on defense. On offense, they were thirty-eighth in offensive rebound percentage and fifty-sixth in three-point percentage. On defense, they were number 20 against the twos, and that's where they were definitely the strong, strongest. Uh, obviously, they were headlined by Kofi Corburn and the, at center position, and they were a team I watched in the Big Ten tournament. They bowed out after the first game in a disappointment. They were just a team that I guess you'd say they just did not, much like Purdue, they didn't quite live up to the expectations I think people had, certainly talking to my friend who is a big Illini fan. They just weren't the team that he'd hoped they'd be, and obviously the end of the season, bowing out quickly in one one game in the Big Ten tournament, and then in the second game in the NCAA tournament, just not how you expect to finish the season, and I'm sure that's not why Kofi Coburn came back to sort of flame out so quickly in the postseason. Yeah, you know, my my take on Illinois is, is this. I think Brad Underwood has obviously gotten them to a point as a program they haven't been in for about uh, close to 20 years, really since the point Bill Self handed it off to Bruce Weber. And they had that run, you know, going to the national title game in 2005. And then really after that, it was close to 15 years in the wilderness and under a couple different coaching staffs. And Underwood has clearly gotten them to a point where they can be competitive. And by competitive, I mean, they can think about things like contending for a big 10 title, making a run in the tournament. But thus far, I have not been very impressed or been made to be a believer in him actually getting them to the highest levels of the sport, meaning consistently winning conference championships consistently being a legitimate threat for a final four and occasionally doing it, those types of things. And the reason I say that was really on evidence at various points last season. Um, the, the best way I could put my reservations about him is there's a lot of talk, a whole lot of talk that comes out of that program. And it does not strike me as the way you operate if you have the kind of true self-confidence and belief in what you're about and what you're doing. 
Um, it's a lot of what's the line? Uh, all hat, no cattle. Um, lot of talk. <laughs> there was all the talk before the season about we're guard you. What? You're Illinois. <laughs> relax. You haven't done very much in the last decade and a half. Let's wait till you actually win something, right? There was talk about Andre Curbelo as the best point guard in the country. Well, I knew that was bullshit, and boy, it sure turned out that way. Then he had the line. You mentioned the Big Ten tournament. He had the line about they lost in their first-round game, I guess, at the quarterfinals, and he said, well, we're not unhappy with losing because, you know, last year we – we pushed to win the Big Ten tournament title. We really felt like it cost us at the NCAA tournament. Even if you believe that, you don't say it. You don't say those things. Yeah. It's just at, at every turn when there's a moment to actually demonstrate that you get it, he doesn't get it. He doesn't pass the test. And there's a fragility to them mentally, psychologically, that I think has been really manifest the last two seasons at critical junctures where real programs, real championship level teams get it done. They wilt. We still don't have any NCAA tournament success. Isn't that two straight years where they've gone out in the second round? Um, that's not great. And I just, that's my problem with it. And I also think this, this is the other thing relative to last season. I think he really mishandled that team. He had Curbelo as a point guard who is a problem. He made them actively worse all of last season. I can, I can show you statistics that demonstrate it, that your eyeballs should have told you. When Curbelo, <laughs> when Curbelo went out with, uh, into the concussion protocol, missed many games. They had to put the ball exclusively in the hands of Trent Frazier, who was a very good, very experienced fifth-year senior. And I thought Illinois looked dynamite during that period. I really thought they'd found it. And then Curbelo comes back, and they put him right back in that same role. And not exclusively. Frazier was still on the ball sometimes, but not enough. And I don't think Illinois ever really found it again. Not completely. Yeah, they – they struggled for sure. And they, and to your point, they just never were, they just never were able to handle those big games. And I feel in some ways they sort of mentally seem soft, much like Iowa does in the postseason, where they just kind of, that for whatever reason, they just can't quite handle that pressure situation. I, I don't know what it is. If I don't know if it's a temperament of the coach who just kind of panics too much, or I'm not sure what it is. That's what I lean to at this point. To me, and you know, who the hell am I? But I'm just saying for me, <laughs> He's got to prove something to the contrary, because thus far, all I've heard out of that program since he's been here is this guy flapping his jaws. And yes, they've done some good things. They've won some games. But if you're serious about being a real program, meaning a, a program people fear, people automatically consider as being in the discussion year in, year out. You got to do more than run your mouth and win a few games. You got to do some big things in big moments. And thus far, that is something Illinois has fared, failed to do. Now, give them credit for last year. You know, they won the Big Ten title, right? In the regular season. Yep. So that's an accomplishment, something they hadn't done in a long time. 
there's follow through that comes from that. Okay, you did that. Now you need to go validate it. You need to go into the tournament and you don't need to win the whole thing, but you got to put a run together. And they got beat by a Houston team that just flat out, they completely out toughed them. Houston made them mentally wilt in that game. And the year before, the same thing happened in a very different fashion against Loyola of Chicago. To me, you have to start the accountability for that starts with the head coach. And I just, you don't see guys like this in the big 10 very often. When I look at the coaches that have been very successful in this conference over, over the last, you know, 25 years, Tom Izzo doesn't ever do this. John Beeline didn't do it. Bo Ryan didn't do it. Uh, Thad Mata didn't do it. Brad Underwood is out here acting like he's done something. And he hasn't. And, and when you behave that way, I do believe that that gets transmitted into your program, down to your players. And it's not a good sign for the future. It demonstrates to me that you're going to continue to have trouble getting it done in big moments. Cause when you talk the way he talks, my assumption is, Oh, this guy doesn't really believe all of this. He's trying to convince himself. You know, I could be wrong about that, but that's where my mind goes to when I hear it. Well, I think until you have success, right, you have to prove it at some point. And I guess to your point, you could say, well, hey, Tom, so they, bowed out. they have not made the Sweet 16 in a number of years, Michigan State. Well, number of years, so what, like three years. <laughs> right. <laughs> the yeah, all, all but, the way back to uh, 2019. <laughs> way back in ancient history. <laughs> but... Uh, to the point, like, you know, you can bow out to Duke or you can lose to, you know, to UCLA and you can say, well, you know, they didn't, it wasn't their best, they wilted or whatever. But you say, well, the track record is they've, more often than not, they've been successful in those situations. And so, you know, every, everyone has, someone has to lose a game. And so you just, but certainly you don't have a track record of not succeeding, right? It's, if, as, if you've su- succeeded as much or more than you've not succeeded, then you'd say you've obviously figured that part of the problem out. Yeah. It's anyway, to, to me, I'm going to be a skeptic and not a skeptic to the point that I go, Illinois is not any good. Obviously I'm picking them fourth. I think yeah, they're, right, I yeah. think they're good, but are they going to be great? I'm a skeptic. They got to prove it. They got to prove it. All right. Well, let's talk about their team last year and the players departing. We'll start with the big guy, the biggest hole that they left behind Kofi Coburn, who was gigantic, uh, Averaged 20.9 points a game, 10.6 rebounds a game, a block per game. Shot 59% from the floor, and that's all from inside, what, five feet? Uh, 66% from the line. If you got in close, it was an automatic two points. Uh, he was a guy who could double team, and you could cause him to turn over the ball quite a bit. He got a little better at the end of the season, I think, and able to pass out of double teams, but it wasn't great. He had 22 assists and 65 turnovers. And defensively, I mean, this is sort of similar to the conversation we had last episode about Hunter Dickinson. You know, you get him away from the basket, and he was not very effective defensively. The, the difference is Illinois was still a really good team defensively, so they were able to cover it up a little better than Michigan was. But, yeah, same same holes. Look, uh, Coburn was a physical monster. I mean, he is – Dickinson is too, but Coburn, I think especially, is just a throwback to a different era. He lacks the kind of athleticism that this guy had clearly, but he reminded me 
of nobody as much as a collegiate Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, it wasn't yes. just big, like they're big guys, but then they're just behemoths, monsters. And Coburn was a monster. If he got the ball down low, it was over. There's just nothing you could do. He was going to dunk on you. And we, we used to have more players like that in the game, in the college game. You don't have as many of them anymore. So he was really in that way. He was kind of a throwback to me. Um, very good college player, obviously extremely productive. Uh, but again, had a fatal flaw defensively that hurt him, you know, and hurt his team a little bit, although they were much better than others at finding ways to compensate for that. Where did he end up? I guess I don't know. I, you know, I can't recall where he got drafted. He did get drafted. Yeah. Yeah. You feel, you feel a little bad for the kid because it's there. There are many people who just came out, you know, their style play. It just missed the, missed the chance to play professionally at the highest level because Coburn 25 years ago, I mean, he's a top, he's gotta be like a top five pick, right? I mean, an NBA team would have been built around him. Absolutely. Yeah. uh, yeah. Absolutely. If he had come out in 1990 or even, even maybe as recently as 2000, maybe, you know, maybe you, you see that you see if it was a first round draft pick and a team would structure and would build him, build around him as a foundational piece. But at the, in this modern era, he's just fighting to hang on. Yeah. Uh, next we'll talk about Alonzo Plummer, six, one transfer from Utah. He's a big addition to Illinois. He averaged 14 and a half points a game on 42, 41 and 87 shooting. So, I mean, he was definitely the big time shooting threat outside. Major portal addition. I mean, I give, again, I, I've got a lot of critical things to say about Brad Underwood. There's no doubt about that, but boy, he had a good eye for plumber. Uh, that kid was good at Utah, but he was something more than that at Illinois last year. He really gave them a boost. And if you remember, they had lost Io DeSunmu from the team the year prior. That was a big loss. Now, Plummer is a very different kind of player, but the fact of the matter is they needed to um, find ways to replace some of that production. And Plummer gave them that. I mean, he yeah. he went through, he kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit as a shooter, but there were periods where he was just almost can't miss. And he was and he was pretty good defensively, too. I was to say, yeah, defensively, he added something, too, to, which helped him a lot. Uh, so let's talk about my favorite player on the team. Well, I, as much as I liked any player in Illinois team, it's 6-1 Trent Frazier. He played the COVID year. He was, as you mentioned earlier, he was playing the point a lot of times when Corbello was out. And good shooter. He averaged 11.6 points a game. He shot 40, 33, and 83. And uh, assist to turnover ratio of two and a half to one. And obviously, really good defender. Guy who just knew where he was supposed to be on the floor and and knew his role on the team as well. One, one of those guys that, you know, and you see him come through. It's a great thing about college basketball, even in the modern era where guys move around a lot more. You still do have examples of this where a guy just grows in a program over time. And you see that, you know, I can remember Trent Frazier on one of those early Brad Underwood Helter Skelter teams. I yeah. believe he was on that. Let me think, think about this. If I've got this right. 2021. Yeah. So he would have been a true freshman on that team that um, the Miles Bridges sophomore year team yeah. went into Illinois and every shot 
Michigan State got was a dunk. They shot whatever it was, like 70% from the floor. It wasn't quite that much, but something ridiculous. But also had like 25 turnovers. Yeah, right, yeah. It was a turnover. Okay. <laughs> and that was not a good Illinois team. And they played a junk style, which thankfully Underwood has thrown into the dustbin of history. Uh, but it was, an, it was a hard watch. But Trent Frazier, you know, was a highly regarded recruit out of Florida, if I remember correctly. Um, but, uh, you know, was not a player that he was last year. He really progressed over those five years. And yeah, it, it's fun to watch that, to see a guy who buys in, just gets better every year. And he's another guy he could have easily bailed out. You know, they, they brought the sun in who kind of stole some of his thunder. And then Curbelo comes in on the back part of his career and take some of his role would have been very easy for him to say, screw this and get out of town. He didn't do it. And I think he's, I think he's one of the most important guys in that program over the last couple of decades because of that, because he stuck it out and he got better and he was a leader and a winner. And I think Illinois screwed up. I said it, um, Underwood made a big mistake in my eyes. He, he should have just Curbelo should have been a lower echelon rotation player and they should have just kept, keep on keeping on with Trent Frazier running the show. Yeah, he added a level of maturity that that team needed. And, and yeah. to your point, I think he was the foundational for Underwood in creating this this run he's had in Absolutely. a team that's getting better, right? Absolutely. Let's talk about Jacob Grandison next. 6'6", four-man. He had, had a nice season as well. He averaged 9.6 points a game and 3.8 rebounds a game in about 25 minutes. He shot 46, 41, 82. And another guy, real good guy, shooting outside, stretched the floor. And was a key part in their offensive and defensive uh, success. Yeah, really good player. You know, the kind of the epitome of the modern stretch four. You'd maybe like him to rebound a little better than he did, but other than that, really good shooter, had some great games. I, I just, when I see his name, I just always think of corner three because that's yeah, kind of exactly. the role he was in. He's just, he's in the corner, they swing the ball to him, and he nails you with a three. Um, but interestingly, he had an extra year to play and he decided that he, he had a progression. He started at Holy cross, transferred to Illinois, played two years at Illinois, and now he's moved on to Duke, which was interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, we're going to, we're going to come back to this Yeah, but Illinois loses 10 players from last year and not all of them were out of eligibility. Is that a you lot, Rob? Is that a lot, Rod? Yeah. <laughs> and and so uh, with, a, with a guy, it, I'm not at a point where I'm saying, boy, I wonder about Underwood's culture, but I look at this one and I say, I wonder what the deal was there. I understand it's Duke, but so what? You're at a major program where you won a conference title. You would, if Grandison would be guaranteed a starter's role, there'd be no question about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Why would you, you probably get more shots. Why would you leave? I, I don't know. I don't have the answer. I just find it really curious. Yeah. There's, there's probably, well, there's obviously a lot more going on than we know behind the scenes. We'll always, never know. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. You'll never know, but it's a blow because he'd be a hell of a player to have coming back for sure. All right. So now we have to talk about Andre Curbelo, the sixth one dynamic sophomore. <laughs> who was who had a lot of flair 
not only just his hair. Uh, he had 60 assists on 53 turnovers. I don't think that's very good. One to one ratio, right? Shot okay at 33, 18, and 75. <laughs> and <laughs> that's okay. And if, <laughs> I mean, I would say I will say this with confidence. If you put me out on the floor, there's no way I'm shooting 18 percent from three. There's okay. no chance. I mean, I might shoot one point. But for a guy, so he's ten times the player received, I am. For a guy who's received a Division One scholarship, <laughs> I'm not sure it meets the okay threshold. But all right. He also has probably some more quickness since I'm in my 40s. You know. That's <laughs> true. He could definitely drip circles around me. Uh, he's he's a guy who, and 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 all joking aside, he I know certainly talking to my friend, he had a lot of mental health issues this last year, whether it was related to the concussions he suffered, and so I think he dealt with a lot of that too in the background, and so he was going through some personal struggles in addition to the fact that he's just you know struggling on the court too. So uh, him transferring is not that much of a surprise. He's going to go be at St. John's next year, and I, I think it's. To your point, this is maybe the addition by subtraction. He just was not helpful for this team. And maybe he needs a new new place to be, and he'll be a different player. Yeah, and look, obviously mental health issues, nothing to joke about. I get that. But um, on the merits, my least favorite player in college basketball. Trent Frazier would have been up near the top for me, certainly the Big Ten of non-Michigan State guys. But in the the non-Michigan player division, we always have to put that caveat in there. Andre Corbella was at the top of the list for me last year. I was, I was just bothered by it again, in part, not even the kid, but the hype machine out of Underwood's program. Talking about this guy is the best point guard in America by what there's no way that you could have watched him play as a freshman and reasonably thought that. Because all the things we saw last year were there during his freshman year. Yes, he can make a spectacular pass on occasion, but he also displays terrible judgment, makes horrendous decisions, and will throw the ball around too. And then, oh, by the way, he's going to shoot in the teens from three. And he's an indifferent, inconsistent defender to boot as the cherry on top. They made a huge mistake. I maintain that bringing him back from concussion protocol and handing him the keys again was a stupid, stupid thing. And I think it cost them in the end. Um, yeah, probably best for him. He's from New York, get back home to St. John, see if you can rebuild this thing. But my God, if he can't find a jump shot somewhere, I'm not sure where it goes because the rest of the game is not good enough without that. I don't remember specifics of that game in the Big Ten tournament. I was there, but I I feel like he threw at least two or three into the stand. I mean, it was like yeah, he had yeah. Some turnover. He's he was a turnover machine, and I mean, I hope as far as a person, I hope he figures out whatever is going on in his life and maybe right. getting home is going to help that, and he gets that sort of straightened out. And so I wish him best of success there. But I'm with you. I thought I was always surprised at how much people would talk about him. Yeah, he'd have the spectacular pass, but you know, half the time it went to the guy selling hot dogs. Right? I don't I don't understand. It's a good, something like that is, is a good sorting mechanism in my mind, because if you watch Andre Curbelo for any period of time and you come away impressed, it pretty clearly indicates to me, you have no idea what you're talking about or what you're seeing, because you're, you're basically falling for the shiny piece of glass, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's yeah, that's, like crow, that's what it is. Yeah, tinfoil. <laughs> you're right. You're you're like a cat 
with a with something shiny um not understanding the substance at all and we're not and this case is so extreme it's not even well this guy is flashy but he's just not quite it's not um oh tim hardaway versus john stockton you know it's not that it's a guy who ought to be in the ymca versus john stockton that's who it is He'd be a great guy to pick up basketball. Yeah, right. All right. So let's talk about Demonte Williams. He's a 6'3", uh, fifth-year COVID guy. He was a good defender. He did not shoot as well last season as he had previously. He only averaged 3.9 points a game on five rebounds a game. He is shooting was 31, 33, and 53 last season. Yeah, you know, it's a shame because the year prior, he just was crazy as a shooter. I think he might have even ended the year plus 50%, which was sort of an outlier in his career. He came in struggling to shoot then had that weird big year and then kind of regressed a little bit last season but in all he was an important guy really good defensively played smart basketball and five rebounds a game for a 6-3 guard gives you an indication of how he played he was a guy who played with a lot of toughness and a lot of grit and did dirty work stuff so even though he wasn't shooting as well he still contributed just he wasn't as much of an offensive contributor right uh, next is Austin Hutcherson, a D3 transfer a couple years ago, uh, and he ended up just staying in. He was injured a lot of times and played sparingly, four games, and uh, he's opted to turn professional, which is, I think it's strange <laughs> strange as well. I suppose you go to Europe or something, right? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure where he's landed. I just know, I just know he stayed in, uh, in the NBA draft. Um, I am not it was, it's one of the weirder stories in recent years. Um, so I, I, the deal was this, he transferred in from D three from Wesleyan, I believe, but, and this was in the immediate aftermath of uh, Michigan having Duncan Robinson make a similar move. Right. And so I think that the expectation was he was going to be an impactful guy. Um, Different than Duncan Robinson, they were really, 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 really impressed with him as an athlete. Really impressed. Uh, Underwood said he was the best athlete he had. But he missed the entire first season he was there. And then last season, he played, I think, in four games, as you said, got hurt again, never got back, and then elected to just turn pro. So make sense of that. <laughs> I, 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 I don't understand it. I don't see um, the profile, but nevertheless, that's what happened. So for Illinois, it will, it will end up as a very definitely a case of what if that they'll never get an answer to. Next, we'll talk about Omar Payne, a 6'10 transfer from Florida. And he didn't really make much of an impact last season. He only averaged 1.8 points a game, 1.7 rebounds a game, and has since transferred back to Jacksonville. Yeah, it just didn't work out. You know, he was, that was an interesting one because he transferred in from Florida where he had shown some potential. And I think it was because he assumed Kofi Coburn was gone to refresh people's memory. Kofi Coburn went into the draft, right? That wasn't going to work out. And then he was in the portal and there was a lot of speculation that he was going to follow a couple of his assistant coaches who had taken jobs with John Calipari at Kentucky. But Calipari had already landed uh, to Shwebe, the transfer from West Virginia, who was so good last year. 
So Kentucky wasn't going to take Coburn, and he ended up coming back to Illinois. I think Omar Payne thought he was walking into a starting spot. But he had opportunities last year, and he just never really made good on them. So I'm not sure how that would have gone. Next would be Benjamin Bosman's Verdonk, 6'9", big man, who played two years at Illinois, and he's since transferred to South Carolina after averaging only uh, eight minutes a game. Yeah. And you know, that guy in, in the opportunities he got, I I saw some potential. He was, he had some skill and yet he was a guy with a motor. He was kind of an aggressive, well-built guy. Um, I thought showed some things, but uh, obviously there wasn't a big role for him. And so he's elected to transfer out, but I think that's the difference. You know, pain ends up, going to Jacksonville, which is clearly a step down from where he's been previously. Whereas this guy is staying at the high major level. So it shows that somebody else believes in his potential to some degree, at least. Yeah. Even though it's South Carolina, but you're right. Yeah. Uh, And finally uh, for departures is Brandon Podzimski, six, four guard. He has opted to transfer to Santa Clara after averaging uh, only one and a half points in 16 games as a freshman. Yeah. He was a kid. They got out of Wisconsin a good size on the wing at six, four and a very good shooter as a prep player, uh, but just wasn't able to find a role as a freshman and elected to transfer out. Maybe he felt like he was being recruited over. I'm not sure. So let's talk about the players returning, which is a very short list. This feels a little bit like we're talking about Nebraska, where right? Like the entire roster turns over. Uh, we'll start with the Coleman Hawkins. He's six ten, a four five man. He averaged 5.9 points a game. 4.3 rebounds a game in about 19 minutes. He shot 44, 29, and 65. And so he's going to be, hopefully for them, a stretch option at the four. Or the five. Um, he, he's a guy with clear potential. I mean, he had moments last year where I thought he was really good. And then he had other moments where the shot wasn't falling. I mean, he really struggled to find a consistent stroke from deep. And that's that's something that would boost him a lot as a player. If he could even be like a mid thirties guy. Um, but there are things to like about him. And I think there's reason to suspect that we haven't seen the best out of him yet. He certainly looked like a guy who's going to have potential. I agree. I think he was a guy who's got more to go. Yeah. Yeah. But it's really, I think it's really going to come down to, um, can he find greater efficiency and consistency in his offensive game? You know, defensively, not a huge impact guy, but I think he could be okay. I think he could be okay as a rebounder. But for him to really break through, I think he's got to do more and more often offensively. Uh, next would be Luke Goody, 6'6", sophomore wing, can also play the stretch four. He averaged only two points a game on 1.8 rebounds a game in about nine minutes. He shot 33, 37, and 67. He's a guy who, again, I think he was – he didn't play much, but the few times – I remember him being in the game, he was kind of impactful. I think he was an effective player, and I think they have reason to think that he can be more from this season. He hurt Michigan State in that game against Breslin. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, that was his game. That's why I remember this. Yeah, right. And um, But there were other games, too, that I saw him, and I was really impressed. He's a guy Michigan State wanted. They recruited fairly hard out of Fort Wayne, um, and Illinois won the recruitment. And I think he's got a chance to see an expanded role. You know, he can shoot, but the thing that I wasn't, fully appreciative of until I saw him playing for Illinois is that he's actually got some toughness and some strength to him. This is not a kid 
who's kind of a wispy, you know, just a shooter type. I mean, I think he could be a guy that could really help them as an all-around player down the line. I even think he's capable of being a small ball four. I'm not sure that'll be his primary role, but I, from what I saw last year, I wouldn't be surprised to see them try it. So I, I like his future. Yeah, he can shoot, but I think he can bring some other things to the table. Yeah, I agree. Uh, next would be RJ Melendez, a six, seven guard who can play on and off the ball. He averaged 3.8 points a game, shooting 57, 60, and 85 in very limited volume. And so obviously they're hoping he's going to be a scoring threat from uh, outside the arc. You know, there was there was a point that there were rumors that he was going to enter the portal, and I think that Illinois is very fortunate he didn't because he had some injury problems last year. Otherwise, he would have played more. He was just starting to really find himself, and then he got hurt. Uh, that kid has real potential, too. I mean, yes, it's low volume, blah, blah, blah. The shooting numbers are real. And I also saw enough of him to think, well, he's probably not ever going to be a point guard. He is a guy you could use to relieve pressure, be a secondary playmaker, that type of thing. You're not afraid when the ball's in his hands. And he's 6'7". Right. So there's a lot to like. He was a, He's a guy, I give Underwood credit, you know, Goody was a guy who was obvious. He was a top 100 kid. Lots of big schools were recruiting him. But my impression was Melendez was not the same level of prospect out of Florida. He was a little bit of an underrated guy, and they found him. And, boy, he looked the part to me the times I saw him play. So he's another guy I think could see his role increase pretty substantially this year. And finally, the last player returning, our fourth player, Brandon Lieb, a seven-foot junior, and a guy who, for obvious reasons with Coburn there, was unable to get his way to the rotation too much. Uh, and I guess, you know, the question would be, what, can he get on the floor and can he do anything when he's there this season? Yeah, I think with him, the question is still primarily strength. You know, they, they got him in. He was kind of a lottery ticket guy. Had size. They thought maybe had the ability to emerge as a stretch big, too, because he had some shooting ability. Uh, but he hasn't gotten strong. He's still listed at only 220. So that's a sign that maybe it's been harder than they thought to add good weight, add strength. And unless those things happen, he probably isn't looking at earning a role for Illinois. So then a lot of newcomers, obviously, for this Illini team. Yeah. We'll start with Terrence. <laughs> Terrence Shannon Jr., a 6'6 transfer from Texas Tech. He averaged 10.4 points a game on 46, 38, and 78 shooting. He's known to be a good athlete, and he's obviously a good shooter. He can play defense. And so, I mean, like a lot of these newcomers we're going to talk about, many of them are going to, our expectation is, obviously, since there are only four returning, that many of them are going to be uh, starters. And this would be one you'd expect to be a starter probably on the floor. Yeah, oh, for sure. He's a Chicago native, so he's coming back home-ish, um, to his home state at least. Um, you know, you hear conflicting things on him that he, there's, um, there's some attitude issues, then other things that not always, a he's a good guy, good team guy. I'll, I'll just restrict it to what's evident on the court. He is a very, was a very, very effective, um, support guy for Texas tech, really good defensive player. Good athletically, he could do some things facing up off the dribble. He's a reasonably good shooter too, but he has not been the primary guy on a team as of yet. And so that's the next step for him because at Illinois, the way things are shaping up, he's probably the expectation will be coming into the season. He's probably option one or one a. 
So is he ready to take that next step? Because for all the good things he did at Texas Tech, he still only scored a little under 11 a game. It's not like he's ever been, okay, 10 seconds left, we're down one, we're getting the ball to Shannon. That wasn't his role. It might be for Illinois. Can he step up to that next level? And can he be a leader when he hasn't had to be prior to this? Yeah, there's going to be a lot of question marks to a lot of these players we're talking about. Uh, next would be Matthew Meyer, a 6'9", four-man transfer from Baylor. He averaged a little under 10 points a game on 3.8 rebounds a game, started all their games. He shot 41, 32, and 70, uh, and was a little better the year before with his shooting. So I guess, you know, again, this is probably a person you expect to be in there at the starting rotation as well. He's going to start at the four. I don't think there's much doubt about it. Um, good player, and there's a lot to like but a pretty significant decline in his efficiency from the year prior. What's the difference? Well, the role he was playing their national championship year. He was a 15 minute a night guy and was not a starter last year. He started every game and was up to, I think 23 minutes a game. And so a lot of the efficiency, the shooting numbers came down. Is that just one of those things? He just had kind of an off year or was it down because as the volume increased, the usage increased, he just wasn't able to keep up that level of efficiency. We'll find out this year because I think he'll play a similar role to the one he did last year at Baylor as a starter this year at Illinois. They're going to ask a lot of him. And again, another example, what I was talking about with Shannon, Meyer's a good player, but he's been a guy who was a support guy. He's never been the main guy or the number two guy. So how does stepping into that role affect him? Is he ready to take that on and will he be better for it? Or does it end up being something of a negative or a limiter? We don't know until we see it, but um, obviously another quality addition, this is a guy who can do a lot of different things to help you win games, but I'm just not sure we know yet how good he's going to be. Right. And next would be Dane Danger, a 6'9", 275 uh, pound sophomore with a freakish 7'4 wingspan. Also, once again, rated from the Baylor cupboard. Uh, he's going to come in and obviously compete for the five spot. And, uh, you know, he probably has more mobility, although it's not saying much, but more mobility than Coburn did the year uh, previously. Underwood's take on him is that he gives them more flexibility than they have with Coburn. He's a better passer, a um, little bit more mobile defensively. Those are all good things. And they, they say he's got a good low post game, too. So it's not like, well, he doesn't give you anything there. Um, was a top 100 recruit out of Minnesota, yet another guy the Gophers missed on, uh, but only played three games as a freshman for Baylor before he decided to transfer. So he was not a grad, uh, you know, he's not a transfer this past year. It was the year prior. He transferred and had to sit out the season. So he was on Illinois' team last year, just sitting out, playing on the scout team. Um, they think highly of him. And my expectation is he's going to be the starter at the five. Um, I think there's a chance that Coleman Hawkins could be that guy, but I'm going to guess it's going to be him sooner or later. I think the question is though, for all the potential that's there, this kid's played a grand total of three games in college. So we don't know yet for sure how all this stuff is going to translate on the court, but I I'm going to assume that he will be effective for them. I just don't know to what degree. Right. Uh, next is they're very excited about uh, at least my 
friend was super excited about Sky Clark, his 6'3 point guard. He decommitted from Kentucky. He ended up back with uh, the Illini. Uh, he, he tore his ACL about 18 months ago, so of course there's some questions about how he's going to be from conditioning and you know how much explosiveness you have, et cetera, from that position. But he's someone that obviously highly rec- regarded, and so the expectation, I assume he's going to be to take over the point guard position at the at with Illinois and you know lead the team and we'll see what he is it's a good news bad news situation so Sky Clark 6-3 good size for point guard at his best when he was healthy um very much a downhill player able to finish effectively at the rim the size helps as well as having a lot of athletic explosion a lot of things to like um the bad news is he had that ACL injury the good news is he fought back from it and he actually played some last year. He got back on the court in January. The bad news is reportedly his explosion was affected. He wasn't as explosive, able to finish as well around the rim. And that was a big part of his game. I happen to see a game he played. Um, I believe it was against, uh, must've been against Jeremy fears and company and sky Clark did not look good. Now, All that being said, he had just gotten back from sitting out, whatever it was, nine months or so due to injury. Is he now another nine months or so down the line from when I last saw him? Is he that much further recovered? Does he have that explosion back? Is he more or less the same guy he was before the injury? If the answer to that is yes, well, then Illinois might really have something. You know, this is a guy who has a lot of the same physical characteristics and style of play as someone like the had, except he might be a little better jump shooter at an earlier stage. It took the really a year and a half to find his jumper. Um, this kid reportedly already has a pretty decent one that remains to be seen. And that's my reason. One of my main reasons for hesitation about sky Clark and hesitation about Illinois as a team is what is he going to be? The other thing is stylistically, um, he is a lead guard, meaning he looks to score first as opposed to setting the team up, creating for others. It's not to say he can't do those things, but his reputation is not as a guy who that's his primary thing. So how well does that translate to what Illinois is trying to do? But if he's right physically, he's a major talent, no doubt about that. Top 30 recruit. As we said, originally committed to Kentucky. A lot to like there, but some question marks. Next would be Jaden uh, Epps, 6'2 combo guard from North Carolina. Another guy who's athletic and explosive getting to the rim, uh, but not quite as much uh, good a jump shooter as Clark is expected to be. You know, again, a lot to like there. Top 100 recruit. Um, More of a lead guard type than a point guard, though. And so how that translates. The other thing is, you're talking about two freshmen handling that position. That's always, right. yeah. always a risk. Yeah, especially when you, yeah, the point guard position, especially, uh, you, it's harder as a freshman to get things figured yeah. out. Uh, next is Ty Rogers, 6'6, six, six, uh, three, four man out of Saginaw. He's a guy who I think Michigan State was recruiting pretty heavily, weren't they? And, and yes. Out. Um, good yes. athlete, good motor. He's the OKG <laughs> for Michigan State, right? Absolutely. You know, and if it were, if it were just based on the kid, he absolutely 
would fit that mold. There were things around him that, you know, for example, he um, left his high school where he'd won a state title at Grand Blank to transfer to um, a high school in suburban Chicago, which was coached by the founder of his AAU program, Ty Streets. And then he ends up at Illinois, which has as an assistant, a guy who was part of that same AAU program at the same, you know, at, at a different time, Tim Anderson. Um, I, I'm not suggesting anything illegal there. And certainly in today's world, who the hell cares? Right. <laughs> right. NIL's NIL, changed yeah, yeah. a lot Transfer, of that, yeah. but right. I will say this was, and, and by the way, he's yet another guy who's a relative of Jason Richardson's, which doesn't ever seem to cut positively for Michigan state, despite the fact that Jason Richardson's still, you know, in good graces with the program and all that, it just never seems to work. Uh, but as a player, I really like Ty Rogers. You have to keep him in perspective but if you can do that, there's a lot to like. I think of him as a less athletic Brandon Dawson. That doesn't mean he's not an athlete. It just means Brandon Dawson was an athlete with a capital A. And Ty Rogers isn't that. But boy, there's a lot of other similarities. Ty Rogers is tough. He's strong. He will do dirty work. I think he's got the potential to be a hell of a defensive player. As long as you don't go in expecting that this guy's going to go out and score 15, 20 points a night for you, you're going to get a lot of things that help you win basketball games. I don't know how much of it will translate immediately, but I, I fully expect he's going to be in their rotation. I'd just be shocked if he's not because he does too many good things. It's just probably not going to come with a lot of 15 point performances, you know? Um, sure. But yeah, I would. I would have been very happy to see him as part of Michigan state's recruiting class. I will not make any bones about it. I think it's unfortunate that the way things were, that probably wasn't ever seriously in the cards. Um, but he's, he's a good player and I expect he's going to make an impact in some ways for Illinois this year, just likely not lighting up the scoreboard. He's people who saw him play at grand blank will know this. He wasn't, he, he's never been a really good shooter. And I don't know that I believe that he ever will be a really good shooter. He's the kind of guy, much like Dawson was, he can get you some points in transition, maybe some uh, garbage buckets, that kind of thing. But he's not going to be a guy you're going to look to isolate, you know, either out on the floor or in the post and say, go get us a bucket. That's not Ty Rogers. But boy, he's going to do other things that will help you rebound, defend, hustle plays. Yeah, all of that. They're going to enjoy having him on the court, I'm sure. So finally, we'll finish up with Sincere Harris. He's a 6'4 shooting guard from Akron. And uh, he's probably one who's not going to expect to be in the starting lineup or maybe high in the rotation, I suppose, this next season. What? I, yeah, what I've seen is that they like his skill set. I think he'd be a good shooter. Like his height, do a lot of different things. He needs to get stronger. And so that might be what prevents him from seeing a big role right away. But down the line, they think he's got potential to help. Well, then we look at this Illinois team overall, <clears throat> and much like these, <clears throat> excuse me. So as we look at this Illini team overall, it sure seems like it, this is the conversation we're having a lot of times <laughs> in these teams that we talked about, uh, where you have a turnover in the roster, you have a lot of unknowns, you get some transfers in. These transfers are all high-level transfers for the most part, so they're ones that you expect to get a little more production out of than the teams we're talking about, like Nebraska and Maryland and Minnesota. 
but there's a, there's a question marks are the same places that you had just our last time we were talking about Michigan, the point guard, right? Are you going to have the production? Are you going to have the, you know, the ball security that you've, that you would hope for in that position? And so there's a lot of things that have to go Illinois way. You, this is a team that you could definitely trick and convince yourself that could they compete for the big 10 title? Maybe, but you could also see them quite a bit down if things don't turn out the way they had expected. Yes. High, high volatility, which is the case for pretty much everybody in the <laughs> yeah. big 10 this year. There's really nobody to look at and say, well, there's, there's no way this team could finish much worse than this. No, it's a lot of questions, maybe some potential answers, but a lot of questions. Point guard is where you start. Um, do the two guys they brought in have talent? Yes. Are there reasons to wonder, even apart from them being freshmen? Yes. Could it break the right way? And is it is it not so difficult to see a path to very positive answers? Yes. So a lot of possible outcomes there. Um, the other thing I wonder about is shooting. What made Illinois so tough last year is they truly were a pick your poison team. Not as much as they could have been if Coburn had been even an average passer, but even so they had this unstoppable weapon in the post you had to account for. And then they just had a team full of snipers on the arc around him. That is very difficult to handle. Um, they lost Coburn too, but I think they'll probably get some decent post scoring out of the guys they've got. I have bigger questions about replacing all the jump shooting they lost, though. Um, how many of the, and again, it's a lot of new guys, a lot of young guys. How well do they shoot the ball? And if they don't shoot it as well as last year's team did, where are they making that up offensively? Is this going to be a better transition team? Well, maybe, maybe not. They don't have Coburn. I think they could still be good in the post. I can't see that they'll be better. Not at least not in pure scoring. They may be better in terms of moving the ball out of double teams, that type of thing. I could see improvement, but you don't. Th there's nobody who's going to step in and do what Kofi Coburn did last year as a post scorer. There just isn't. So I don't know. It's it, it's uh, it's possible to see this still being a really really good team, and I think they'll be good at some level, but. Um, Oh, it's a lot of turnover too. 10 guys, most of whom played significant roles for you gone. No matter how good the class is that you're bringing in, that's a lot to replace and to fit all those parts in and think it's going to go seamlessly. That's asking a lot. I, if I were an Illinois fan, the way I would be viewing this season would be just get us to the beginning of February or so. <laughs> and then let's see, you know, and not be in a big hole, have learned some lessons, probably taken some lumps, but get to February and then see if we can start to gel this thing. I think that's the reasonable path because I just have to believe in November and December and even parts of January, there are going to be some bumps in the road. It's It would just be flabbergasting if there weren't. And then on top of that, then the question becomes, okay, does your program now start to get what's required to build real championship DNA, or is it still suffering from a loud mouth who can't back it up when the chips are down? 
Well, I think the the one risk you have with the this situation for Illinois, you have the four returning players. None of them have played major roles. You'd say. I mean, I guess Hawkins would be the closest. Yeah. Yeah, but even that is, you know, he's playing 19 minutes a game, which is right. you know, not nothing. But and so you've what you have to what you have to install is a, a, you have to reinstall your culture and right like you losing yep. Trent Frazier, a guy who's been around a long time, and that may be hard to do. I mean, you're gonna and it's sort of like when we watched Nebraska; it's like this totally new team every year. It seems like and it it just seems random out there. And no, it's a it's a I really know. it's a really good point. It's a really good point, and um. You know, that's been the the reason, one of the reasons that Tom Mezzo has been so successful is that the culture is so well established and it, and he's not having this kind of roster turnover. And so it's able to be transmitted from players, which is, he would say, you know, and says constantly, you want a player coached program. Well, that goes even to cultural issues too, right? Right. Um, you would rather have that. And it's kind of tough to imagine. Well, Hawkins, Goody and Melendez, who've only been on the program a, a year. Hawkins is entering his third year, but has, as you said, has never been a major focal point. Are they enough to really get it across to these guys? Can the coaches install that quickly? Uh, yeah, th- those are all, those are all valid concerns. And, um, yeah, you wonder, you you wonder, about, I wonder about a lot of things with this program. If I was an Illinois fan, yeah, there are reasons to be excited about the trajectory and what Underwood has done, but there are also reasons I would wonder, okay, this is fine, but is this the guy to get us to the next step? Because I, I have to believe, and it sounds like you have some relation. I don't know anybody who went to Illinois. Um but it sounds like you do. Yeah. I think, you know, we had this conversation about Iowa where I was asking you about questions about how they view Fran and all those things. Um, Illinois is a different level from that because Illinois, whereas Iowa was pretty good and had some really good teams occasionally for a period of time from the, say the late seventies to the mid nineties. Um, Illinois was more than that. Illinois, in that oh, yeah. period has got well since since the uh the late 80s has been to two final fours they went to a national title game and there were a lot of other years there where they truly had an elite program i mean an elite team in a given year so there was a long time where that school's fan base i think believed that they were one of the best in the sport and then they went through 15 years of the wilderness where they weren't and now they're they seem like they're climbing back but the the illinois people or person that you know is there a is there a belief that underwood is the guy who will get this done no question a lot of confidence that that, that this okay. is the, that this is the person that is going to do it and i think you know you, you can look at a team like kentucky and say well you've got calipari who brings in you know turns over his roster in some ways i mean at least the starters every every year pretty much and he's been able to maintain that culture and, and able to keep it going. But not many places can do that. You wouldn't expect. And so this is this is a big risk for Illinois in some respects because, you know, if this doesn't go well, then what, you know, what are you going to build off of next year? It, it might be a, it might be not you're going to get a Chris Collins thing where you sort of peaked and you're on your way out and head down. But you could definitely see the wheels coming off this thing, right? I mean, it's, it's not impossible to envision that sort of thing happening with this program. 
or you could see obviously that they continue their um, their hold on the top of the Big Ten, and I mean that could certainly happen too. But I definitely see that there's definitely a decent reason to assume that or to think that it might happen. Whereas the last two years, you felt pretty confident that they're going to be one of the top teams in the Big Ten because who they had returning. Now you just don't. I don't think have that confidence or should have that confidence. There are just many, many, many more questions. But I don't even think. Look, if they had a year where they finished sixth. That doesn't mean that it's done. It's just, I think the bigger, I think the bigger questions are what I was talking about near the outset of this episode, which is to me, Brad Underwood has not shown the, um, has not shown that he understands the approach that I think you have to have and maybe even more so that the, the approach he takes and the things he says at times to me, betray a fragility that I don't think is compatible with the highest levels of success in this sport. Cause I don't see it. I don't, I don't see, it's been a long time since there was somebody out there just shooting his mouth, even Cal Cal. I don't think Cal does that. Um, but somebody, right. You know, and he's about as brash as the sport is produced at a high level in recent years. You just don't see guys. You think about the elite guys, the Izzo's, the Shashevsky's, the Roy Williams. These guys did not say the things that Brad Underwood says. And I just, to me, I read into it and, and I think it's indicative of problems. And, um, and that's what we've, that's what we've seen, you know, when, when the chips have been down, that's only two years. So he's got plenty of time, presumably, to prove that that's incorrect and to get this thing on track to go to an even higher level. But um, I, I still think the jury's out, and this is going to be an interesting test because of all that turnover. What can he do with it? Yeah, and I would say at Illinois, certainly, the tolerance for failure is, is a lot shorter than it is other places, right? Like, you know, you can get away with it a little right. bit longer to Iowa or Minnesota. Uh, yeah, that's what I, I was Illinois, saying. They're going to you'll be canned pretty quick. If this has, if this turns south on him in a couple of years, he's not going to be around here in four years. If this doesn't work out. That's exactly what I was trying to get at. Like this is another level from an Iowa, Iowa fans remember when they were, when they were good, Illinois fans can remember when they were great. Yeah. Not consistently, but enough that they, and, and again, they're, they are in, as opposed to Iowa, they are, even though they're not in the, I, the best region of the state for it. They are in a state which is a big talent producer, generally speaking. So you, if you are at that program, you think you should be able to get good talent year in, year out. And there's, so thus there's no excuse, right? It's a, yeah. ba- it's a school that cares about basketball, that supports it. You sit in the middle of a talent-rich region, no excuses. Right. And that's, I think what's been extra frustrating for Illinois fans the last 15 years before, yeah. before yeah. they just weren't able to getting, getting the talent they needed to be successful. Right. Right. Well, we'll see how Illinois turns out this year. You have them picked fourth. Obviously uh, it's going to be a very tumultuous big 10 season. Um, so we'll beat you next week uh, for number three. And then uh, I guess I'd recommend if you've not had a chance, please visit our website at tffinots.com where the final four is not on the schedule. If you're a .com, if you're 
willing to type all that much out. And uh, be sure to sign up for our email list. We send out things that are happening and just so you can stay on top of things. It's free. And until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.